0: Section 69 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for into the public domain. Letter 100. London, January 8th, Old Style, 1750. Dear Boy, I have seldom or never written to you upon the subject of religion and morality. Your own reason, I am persuaded, has given you true notions of both. They speak best for themselves, but if they wanted assistance, you have Mr. Hart at hand, both for precept and example. To your own reason, therefore, and to Mr. Hart, shall I refer you for the reality of both, and confine myself in this letter to the decency, the utility, and the necessity of scrupulously preserving the appearances of both. When I say the appearances of religion, I do not mean that you should talk or act like a missionary or an enthusiast, nor that you should take up a controversial cudgel against whoever attacks the sect you are of. This would be both useless and unbecoming your age." but I mean that you should by no means seem to approve, encourage, or applaud those libertine notions which strike at religions equally, and which are the poor threadbare topics of half-wits and minute philosophers. Even those who are silly enough to laugh at their jokes are still wise enough to distrust and detest their characters, for putting moral virtues at the highest and religion at the lowest, religion must still be allowed to be a collateral security, at least, to virtue and every prudent man will sooner trust to two securities than to one. Whenever, therefore, you happen to be in company with those pretended esprits forts, or with thoughtless libertines, who laugh at all religion to show their wit, or disclaim it to complete their riot, let no word or look of yours intimate the least approbation. On the contrary, let a silent gravity express your dislike, but enter not into the subject and decline such unprofitable and indecent controversies. Depend upon this truth, that every man is the worst looked upon, and the less trusted for being thought to have no religion, in spite of all the pompous and specious epithets he may assume, of esprit for, free-thinker, or moral philosopher, and a wise atheist, if such a thing there is, would, for his own interest and character in this world, pretend to some religion. Your moral character must be not only pure, but, like Caesar's wife, unsuspected. The least speck or blemish upon it is fatal. Nothing degrades and vilifies more, for it excites and unites detestation and contempt. There are, however, wretches in the world profligate enough to explode all notions of moral good and evil, to maintain that they are merely local, and depend entirely upon the customs and fashions of different countries. Nay, there are still, if possible, more unaccountable wretches. I mean those who affect to preach and propagate such absurd and infamous notions without believing them themselves. These are the devil's hypocrites. Avoid as much as possible the company of such people, who reflect a degree of discredit and infamy upon all who converse with them. But as you may sometimes by accident fall into such company, take great care that no complacence, no good humour, no warmth of festal mirth, ever make you seem even to acquiesce, much less to approve or applaud, such infamous doctrines. On the other hand, do not debate nor enter into serious argument upon a subject so much below it. But content yourself with telling these apostles that you know they are not serious, that you have a much better opinion of them than they would have you have, and that, you are very sure, they would not practice the doctrine they preach. But put your private mark upon them, and shun them for ever afterward. There is nothing so delicate as your moral character, and nothing which it is your interest so much to preserve pure should you be suspected of injustice, malignity, perfidy, lying, etc., all the parts and knowledge in the world will never procure you esteem, friendship, or respect. A strange concurrence of circumstances has sometimes raised very bad men to high stations, but they have been raised like criminals to a pillory, where their persons and their crimes, by being more conspicuous, are only the more known, the more detested, and the more pelted and insulted. If in any case whatsoever, affectation and ostentation are pardonable, it is in the case of morality, though even there I would not advise you to a pharisaical pomp of virtue, but I will recommend you to a most scrupulous tenderness for your moral character, and the utmost care not to say or do the least thing that may ever so slightly taint it. Show yourself upon all occasions the advocate, the friend, but not the bully of virtue. Colonel Chart, whom you have certainly heard of, who was, I believe, the most notorious blasted rascal in the world, and who had, by all sorts of crimes, amassed immense wealth, was so sensible of the disadvantage of a bad character, that I heard him once say, in his impudent, profligate manner, that though he would not give one farthing for virtue, he would give ten thousand pounds for a character, because he should get a hundred thousand pounds by it, whereas he was so blasted that he had no longer an opportunity of cheating people. Is it possible, then, that an honest man can neglect what a wise rogue would purchase so dear? There is one of the vices above mentioned, into which people of good education, and in the main of good principles sometimes fall, from mistaken notions of skill, dexterity, and self-defense. I mean lying, though it is inseparably attended with more infamy and loss than any other. The prudence and necessity of often concealing the truth insensibly seduces people to violate it, it is the only art of mean capacities, and the only refuge of mean spirits. Whereas concealing the truth upon proper occasions is as prudent and as innocent as telling a lie upon any occasion is infamous and foolish. I will state you a case in your own department. Suppose you are employed at a foreign court, and that the minister of that court is absurd or impertinent enough to ask you what your instructions are. Will you tell him a lie, which as soon as found out, and found out it certainly will be, must destroy your credit, blast your character, and render you useless there? No. Will you tell him the truth, then, and betray your trust? As certainly no. But you will answer with firmness that you are surprised at such a question, that you are persuaded he does not expect an answer to it, but that at all events he certainly will not have one. Such an answer will give him confidence in you. He will conceive an opinion of your veracity, of which opinion you may afterward make very honest and fair advantages." But if in negotiations you are looked upon as a liar and a trickster, no confidence will be placed in you, nothing will be communicated to you, and you will be in the situation of a man who has been burned in the cheek, and who from that mark cannot afterward get an honest livelihood if he would, but must continue a thief. Lord Bacon very justly makes a distinction between simulation and dissimulation, and allows the latter rather than the former, but still observes— that they are the weaker sort of politicians who have recourse to either. A man who has strength of mind and strength of parts wants neither of them. Certainly, says he, the ablest men that ever were have all had an openness and frankness of dealing, and a name of certainty and veracity. But then they were like horses well managed, for they could tell, passing well, when to stop or turn, and at such times, when they thought the case indeed required some dissimulation, if they then used it, it came to pass that the former opinion spread abroad of their good faith and clearness of dealing made them almost invisible. There are people who indulge themselves in a sort of lying which they reckon innocent, and which in one sense is so, for it hurts nobody but themselves. This sort of lying is the spurious offspring of vanity, begotten upon folly. These people deal in the marvelous. They have seen some things that never existed. They have seen other things which they never really saw though they did exist, only because they were thought worth seeing. Has anything remarkable been said or done in any place, or in any company? They immediately present and declare themselves eye or ear witnesses of it. They have done feats themselves, unattempted, or at least unperformed by others. They are always the heroes of their own fables, and think that they gain consideration, or at least present attention, by it. Whereas in truth, all that they get is ridicule and contempt, not without a good degree of distrust, for one must naturally conclude that he who will tell any lie from idle vanity will not scruple telling a greater for interest. Had I really seen anything so very extraordinary as to be almost incredible I would keep it to myself, rather than by telling it give anybody room to doubt for one minute of my veracity. It is most certain that the reputation of chastity is not so necessary for a woman as that of veracity is for a man, and with reason for it is possible for a woman to be virtuous, though not strictly chaste, but it is not possible for a man to be virtuous without strict veracity. The slips of the poor women are sometimes mere bodily frailties, but a lie in a man is a vice of the mind and of the heart. For God's sake be scrupulously jealous of the purity of your moral character. Keep it immaculate, unblemished, unsullied, and it will be unsuspected. Defamation and calumny never attack where there is no weak place. They magnify, but they do not create. There is a very great difference between the purity of character, which I so earnestly recommend to you, and the stoical gravity and austerity of character, which I do by no means recommend to you. At your age I would no more wish you to be a Cato than a Clodius. Be and be reckoned a man of pleasure as well as a man of business. Enjoy this happy and giddy time of your life. SHINE IN THE PLEASURES AND IN THE COMPANY OF PEOPLE OF YOUR OWN AGE. THIS IS ALL TO BE DONE, AND INDEED ONLY CAN BE DONE, WITHOUT THE LEAST TAINT TO THE PURITY OF YOUR MORAL CHARACTER. FOR THOSE MISTAKEN YOUNG FELLOWS, WHO THINK TO SHINE BY AN IMPIOUS OR IMMORAL LICENTIOUSNESS, SHINE ONLY FROM THEIR STINKING, LIKE CORRUPTED FLESH IN THE DARK. WITHOUT THIS PURITY YOU CAN HAVE NO DIGNITY OF CHARACTER, AND WITHOUT DIGNITY OF CHARACTER IT IS IMPOSSIBLE TO RISE IN THE WORLD. YOU MUST BE RESPECTABLE. If you will be respected, I have known people slattern away their character without really polluting it, the consequence of which has been that they have become innocently contemptible, their merit has been dimmed, their pretensions unregarded, and all their views defeated. Character must be kept bright as well as clean. Content yourself with mediocrity in nothing. In purity of character and in politeness of manners, labor to excel all if you wish to equal many. Adieu. End of section 100. Read by Professor Heather and For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.